we uh, have a great, amazing life group. Yep, and we can't wait to see you all when you come back. Um, yes. Got any good memories that you want to call people back? The oh, food? Of the food, the food. Uh, mostly the laughs. Mm -hmm. We got some goofiness that goes on. I don't know where that comes from. No, I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm supposed to see you in September, like yeah. the old song. Can't wait. I can't think of anything. That you haven't done in a long time? Oh, Forever? I, I don't know. I, 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 love, I love my life. I do too. I'm trying to think of something. Maybe, okay. Can it be anything? Anything. Okay, well then I should be a star on Broadway. Oh yeah? <laughs> should I sing on Broadway? No, you should not sing. No. <laughs> I should have been a singer. Maybe a singer. That's what I want. Okay. Right there. I would still be teaching. I'd still be teaching in a heartbeat. That's what I was created for. We love teaching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once now that we're back in school face to face, I'm back where I where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. I think eclectic. Yes, we started it, and we live in Ovid, so it's people in St. John's, people in you know, people we have some from people from yeah, we have people from all over. Um, but because we started so far away from the church, we thought well. We'll just put out a Facebook invitation. So we have people from church, but we also have people that are um, just random churches. people that yeah. we know that come to our life group. So we can come alongside not just the people in our church, but um, just walk with people that we love. And so it's pretty open and welcome to everybody. And yeah, so, and we're kid friendly. Yep. We have lots of um, space. Stuff. We have forty acres, so you know we just yep. let them roam. No, I'm just kidding. Yep. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Would you stand with us? Are you excited to be here this morning? We are excited to worship with you. So I want you to wave to somebody from across the room. You can give them knuckles, whatever. We are going to worship this morning together.
grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. I don't want to abuse your Have a seat here, guys. Hey, uh, if you are watching online this week, man, we would encourage you right now, go ahead and pause the video and grab, uh, go back to your kitchen, grab something, uh, some crackers or some juice and come back to us because we're going to do communion later on in this service today. If you are one of the wonderful people who are with us this morning and you missed all the little illuminated cups there in the back, feel free to sneak out now if you'd like or uh, here soon and grab one because we're going to celebrate communion towards the end of this service. So be ready to join in with us that this morning. Uh, we're excited that you guys are here today. Uh, in fact, we want to know that you're here today. So if you would do me a favor, if you happen to have the North Point app on your phone, go ahead and break that. I know it's the most used app you have, so you know exactly where it's at. All right. Yeah, maybe. No, everybody ducked their head. It's okay. Anyway, anyway, go ahead and bust that open for me. There's a little button on there, a picture that says, let's connect. If you will tap that picture, uh, there'll be a form there for us to fill out. It helps us know that you're here, keeps us updated with your information. It's a great way for us to get in contact with you in case there's an incident or anything like that. So be sure to fill that out. If you do not have the North Point app, feel free to send the word guest in CC to 94090. And what we'll do is we'll send you a text message back. You can click that link to the form and fill that out as well. Uh, today is a special Sunday for us. It is Life Group Connect today. So you guys saw the video uh, early on talking about life groups. Man, life groups are a big, big deal here at North Point. We think people go further, faster, spiritually when they are connected with other people. So uh, we have a brand new life group wall out there with some really good looking, energetic, happy people on there that you can check out for some life groups. Uh, one of them is really good looking. That would be my wife. She's 
Dang, she's not here yet. All right, we'll have to try that again next service and see if it works. But feel free to check out that board. You can also check on the North Point app uh, with the groups or the website at any point in time. We would encourage you guys, man, jump into a life group. It is an incredible, incredible experience to be a part of. Uh, one more thing that we want to do together, and that is to worship through our giving. So there are multiple ways that you can do this. If you have got a uh, cash or a check or whatever, you can drop off there in the uh, wooden boxes in the back. You can also text NCC Give to 77977 or give through the app. All of those ways you can set up recurring gifts, one-time gift, but we would just encourage you this morning, man, give worshipfully, give sacrificially, and give thankfully to a God who provides for our needs. With all that being said, let's get woke this morning. looks a little different in here this morning, right? If you came in, you got a little freaky because the rope didn't go all the way down. And we, uh, we did some things in here to make it just a little bit different. Know this. It's not because we're not paying attention to COVID and we don't still want you to social distance and none of that stuff. Um, more people are coming back and we're just trying to uh, make it possible to minister to people that God brings here. But I want to encourage you, if you would, be real sensitive, not just on Sunday mornings, but be sensitive when you're out and about to the people around you. Everybody's in a different place in terms of how they deal with COVID. Um, some are, some are, are, are being very cautious. Some are not being very cautious at all. Some are wearing masks. Some not wearing masks. Just be sensitive because I think that's the spirit of God in us, um, being gracious and being willing to serve other people. So uh, when you come in, if you sit down close to somebody and they go, ah, um, maybe slide to a different place, all right? That would be good. Um, and we're working on some things that can create some more space as well. So uh, we're glad you're here. And uh, y'all who are online, we're glad that you're here as well. God's got great stuff for all of us today. We talked last week, we started a new, uh, a new series of messages called Woke. Um, that's all about this idea of becoming aware of our surroundings, becoming aware of what's going on in the world. The term woke describes typically being aware of social unrest, social things, injustice, that kind of thing. We want to apply that to what God is doing in our lives, to becoming woke to Jesus in our lives and what he's doing. We shared last week that our mission, you've heard this if you've been around North Point for very long. If you're new, man, you can't hear this enough. Our mission as a church is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. I've been saying that for a long time, so much so that sometimes I feel like as soon as I start to say it, my brain kicks out. But hear that again. Our mission is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. It's, it's a combination of evangelism and discipleship, of reaching all people, any, anybody that God brings in our path, helping all people Move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. That life fully devoted to Jesus is what discipleship is all about. It's taking steps towards him. It's uh, becoming obedient to him in new ways. It's being sensitive 
to his voice. And in the context of this series in particular, it's recognizing what Jesus is doing in our lives. Um, we shared this vision that we have begun to embrace as a church. Uh, the mission never changes. The vision changes every few years. Uh, for, for several years, we said that we wanted to impact 50,000 people with the grace of Jesus in five years. God allowed it, us to do that in, in three years. And so uh, we started at the beginning of this year just saying, okay, what, what's our vision? What is it that God wants us to do? to um, do, who does God want us to be? And again, let me say, um, you know, if you're here and, and maybe maybe the church that you've attended for a long time, been a part of, um, they're not meeting and you're here, man, we are so glad that you're here because we're all part of God's kingdom. Um, but it, it's really helpful to know who you're worshiping with to not just come in and, and just hear the message, but to really grasp and understand who we are. Here's our vision um, that, that we think is going to probably last the next three to five years. Um, everybody who calls North Point home, regularly sharing how Jesus is working in their life within their sphere of influence. There's three pieces to that. Everybody who calls North Point home means that you're invested here. Man, if, if you're from another church, we are so glad that, that you're here. Uh, you can just kind of Wait until, you know, if God would place you here, that's great. If he sends you back, that's great. The kingdom's big. But if you're a part of North Point, you need to, you need to dive in and invest and grow roots here. You need to serve. You need to be committed to what God is doing here. Everybody who calls North Point home, regularly sharing how Jesus is working in their life. That means that you've got to notice how Jesus is working in your life, right? You have to see that what God is doing in that way. And that's what this series is about. And sharing that within your sphere of influence. That means the people that you connect with, um, yeah, your neighbors, your family, your friends, the people that you work with, the people that you play cards with, the people that you do sports with, that kind of thing. That you're just, it's a normal thing, as normal as a tree blossoming in the spring. As normal as popcorn, when it's in the popcorn popper and heat gets applied, it starts bursting. It's just a normal thing to just talk about what Jesus is doing in your life. It's not something forced. It's not an evangelism program. None of that. It's just the normal thing that you do. As easy as it is for me to talk about my kids or my grandkids or the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, just a normal thing. Three, three components. Uh, I expected bigger laughter on that, but that's okay. Um, thank you. Uh, sympathy laughter counts sometimes. Um, there are, there are three, critical, th- three critical components to the message. Own, see, share. Own, you have to own North Point. You've got to see Jesus working in your life, and you've got to share what he's doing. So the question is, how do we start living that out? How, how do we get woke? The first thing is that you've got to be aware. You've got to become aware of what Jesus is doing in your life because he's working. We talked last week about this 400-year period of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament and that God was working during that time, although the Jewish nation thought that God had really gone on vacation, that he was away. They were waiting, and there was nothing for them. They didn't see him. God is working even in the silence, and the silence prepares us for the significant things that God is going to do in our lives. Today we're looking at Jesus in an unlikely place, 
um, a, a place in our lives that we typically don't think about Jesus hanging out. But uh, there's some really, really important things that I want you to see. So if you've got your Bibles, take them, take them out, turn to John chapter 2. If you've got an uh, electronic devo- device, feel free to use that. Go to John chapter 2. Um, if you've got the app, the scriptures in, in the uh, sermon notes as well. Today we're looking at finding Jesus in parties and celebrations. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, his mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, uh, said to the servants who were there, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. He told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everybody brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheap wine after the guests have had too much to drink. You've saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. And after, after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. They stayed there for a few days. Before we break down the passage and begin to look for Jesus in, the, in this passage, I want to just give you a little bit of background. Jesus was born in a small town outside Jerusalem called Bethlehem, right? It's not Christmas yet, but if you get your mind ready, we'll be there before too long. So Jesus is born in this town of Bethlehem that Mary and Joseph have to travel and go to. Um, after he is born, he stays there. They, Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus into Jerusalem to the temple to offer sacrifice. That's last week's message where they encounter Anna and Simeon. They, uh, we're not sure where they go, whether they stay in Jerusalem, go back to Bethlehem. For a while after that, the wise men come. Herod, the ruler of the area, um, hears that a new king has been born, and he freaks out and wants to kill this baby. And so um, an angel appears to Joseph. Mary and Joseph and Jesus leave Judea, the, the region, and they travel to Egypt. And they live there until an angel comes and tells Joseph that Herod has died. This king that wants to kill him is dead. And then they come back and they move to this, this small rural town called Nazareth. Nazareth is the name of the town where Jesus grew up. Um, he would have been there probably from the time that he was three, four, five years old. Um, probably all the way up until his ministry starts. Nazareth Nazareth is this small town, uh, probably 400 residents in the hill country in the 
Galilean region, uh, and uh, the, the people who lived there lived primarily in houses that were dug out of the, the rock on the hillside. So they lived in, in caves, in two-room caves. If you go to Israel, you can see the, the, um, they've excavated some of those houses. It's an incredibly cool thing to see. Not far from Nazareth. Probably, uh, depending upon uh, which guys you read, what historians they are, and, and the archaeology of it, no, we're not exactly sure, but there's this town called Cana that's somewhere between three, four, five, maybe as many as eight miles from Nazareth. Cana is the place that this wedding takes place. So if you think for a second, if you put your mind into that New Testament setting, that first century testing, uh, setting, it's a, it's a rural place. Um, everybody travels only by foot. There's this small community of 400 people roughly, and then there's uh, Cana not very far away. All of those people would have either known or um, known about the people who lived in both little towns. Cana is right there in the middle of the screen, if you can see it, and you can see how close it is to Nazareth. Um, just a s- side note here at the, at the uh, relative to this, um, in the 11th or 12th verse of John chapter 2, it says that they go, that they go from Cana down to, uh, to Capernaum. And if you look, it's north, right? You don't go down to go north. That's why it's, it's so fun to read scripture and really try and figure stuff out. Cana, at Nazareth, are much higher in elevation. Capernaum is right down on the Sea of Galilee in a valley. So they went down, literally, down to Capernaum. Um, uh, when, when it, whenever in Scripture it says that uh, it describes Jerusalem uh, in the first century, you always went up to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem's in the southern part of Judea. But Jerusalem was on Mount Zion, right? It was on the hill, so you went up to Jerusalem. Uh, that wasn't in my notes. That's just for your pleasure, all right? Uh, just, to, just to help you up. There. Um, in 2011, I had a chance to go to Israel, and I remember being in the town of Cana, the, the town that uh, they have positioned there that they, that they think where this happened. Uh, really cool little town. The thing that I remember is that there were all kinds of wedding chapels there, places that you could get married or that you could renew your wedding vows in Cana of Galilee, where Jesus did his, his uh, first miracle. The other thing that I really remember was a night that we spent worshiping with Palestinian Christians um, there. It just was so rich to hear them sing and to be a part of that service. Cain is still placed there with followers of Jesus. Because of the proximity, Mary and, Joseph, Mary and Jesus must have known uh, the bride and the groom. They were invited to the wedding. They would have known their families. They would have been... Um, they would have had friendships that pulled them together. And that's why Mary's there. That's why Jesus is there. Um, it, the, the account in, in John chapter 2 starts with the, the, the phrase, on the third day, which begs really the question. Again, if you look back at John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, on the third day this happened. It's, the, the question is, the third day of what, right? Uh, what's that about? Um, well, there there. Probably two good possibilities. One is that at this time in history, um, historical context really helps see things. The custom for the Jews, if when you got married, if you if the if the woman was a, a virgin, a young virgin, you got married on the third day of the week. 
if you were widowed and you got married, you got married on the fourth day of the week. So, um, so that's like, huh, that's really interesting. It's also possible that um, if you look at John chapter 1, you'll see that Jesus has just been baptized. He's just called some of his disciples, probably the first five of his disciples. And it may very well be that this is literally the third day of Jesus' public ministry, the third day after, um, after his baptism, which is kind of a cool thing as well. And it's interesting that John, the disciple that Jesus loved, says on the third day, because it foreshadows a little bit to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The third day, Jesus rises from the dead. Um, When you think about the wedding that happens in John chapter 2, don't think about like our American custom for weddings. I did a wedding yesterday for uh, Gwen Gaffney and Zach Tavone, and I was able to preside for their wedding. Don't think like a 20-minute ceremony uh, and then pictures and then a meal. It was not like that at all. In the first century, a wedding was something that lasted somewhere between four and seven days. There was a, it was a big deal with all kinds of stuff. Again, small rural community, a wedding would have been the social event of the year for those communities. They didn't happen very often, maybe once or twice a year. That was all. And everybody came out. And there was this big um, production, really, that was a really cool thing. The bride got everything ready. The groom, when he was ready, came to get the bride, and they would go, and the wedding feast would start. Different than American customs, where uh, our custom is that the bride's family pays for everything involved in the wedding, not so in first century um, Judea, in the Jewish culture. The groom paid for everything. The whole deal of the wedding was that the groom would prepare everything and be ready to bring his bride home to her new home. The, The groom would buy a house, he would be established in his work, and he would pay literally for every aspect of the wedding feast with all these people who would come. It involved lots of preparation and planning. Um, It was a big deal, a big responsibility for the groom. So when Mary comes up and says, they've run out of wine, what she was saying to Jesus was, the groom hasn't prepared well for the wedding. And what that meant for the groom was that he wasn't just going to be embarrassed because Jesus couldn't run out to Walmart and go get some more uh, drinks, right? He couldn't do that. What was going to happen is that the groom was going to be embarrassed and humiliated, and it would be a reputation that would stick with him for the rest of his life. That, that, that guy couldn't take care of his wife. He didn't even have enough wine for the wedding feast. Can you sense that, that feeling of that? It was, it, it was, a, it was a big, big deal, the, the risk and the pain that was there potentially for the groom. The, the bride's family would have been thinking at that point in time, what are we doing letting her marry him? Um, Again, in this culture, to run out of the wine, some scholars say to run out of the wine of the wedding was grounds for a lawsuit. Um, It was that big of a deal. So Mary comes to Jesus and says, they're running out of wine. And Jesus says, um, Mary's essentially saying, you've got to save these people that we love a lifetime of rejection. Um, When you look at the passage, you'll notice that Joseph's not there, right? It only talks about Mary and Jesus, Jesus' disciples. 
um, the last time that Joseph is, mer- is mentioned in the New Testament is when Jesus and Mary and Joseph go to Jerusalem when Jesus is 12. Somewhere between the time that he's 12 and this time, um, there's, there's pretty good evidence that Joseph died. So Mary would have been widowed. Jesus, um, Jesus would have been the one who was taking care of the family. Joseph would have taught him his carpentry skills. Jesus would have provided for the family while his younger siblings grew up. Um, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus and Mary had late night conversations about when Jesus' ministry was going to start. Because you know, Mary hadn't forgotten that she had become pregnant supernaturally. That's not something that had just slipped her mind, right? Um, Mary hadn't forgotten when they had taken Jesus to the temple and there Anna and Simeon had prophesied over Jesus. Mary hadn't forgotten when they went to the temple when Jesus was 12. Jesus is there asking questions of the rabbis and teaching them. Mary hadn't forgotten any of that. So I wonder if Mary and, and Jesus are sitting around in the carpentry shop late at night, you know, just talking, and Mary's saying, Jesus... You've been a carpenter a pretty long time. When's, when are you going to fulfill what God has come, uh, has brought you to earth for? And, and Jesus said, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come. I, I wonder if at this point in time, Mary knows Jesus has been baptized. He's brought these five guys with him to this wedding feast. And Mary is saying, okay, look, I know I'm your, just your mom. But I'm your mom. It's time to do something and um, and begin your ministry. And Jesus says, "Woman, it, it sounds kind of disrespectful, doesn't it? Um, it's it's actually a term. It's like saying, ma'am. It's, it actually is a term of respect, but it it's a little different because he says, woman, ma'am, what do we have in common? What have I got to do with you? He he's. I think he's saying to to Mary." Uh, you know, you're not the one who calls these shots. We're on different pages. And then Mary says, you know what? Do whatever he says. And Jesus then begins to act. He tells the servants to go fill six huge jars of water, jars that, that uh, the, the stone containers, that uh, water that would be used by the Jews to purify. They had an elaborate purification system that they didn't wash their hands in the way that we think of it. They washed their hands, but they let the water drip to purify them from, from anything um, evil that they would encounter. Um, and, and so Jesus t- tells the servants, fill these jars full of water. They do, and then Jesus says to the servants, hey, take some of that out of those jars and give it to the guy who's like the master of ceremonies for the wedding. And they take it to him, and he says, this wine, this wine's incredible. This wine is so much better than what you served at the beginning. This, this is crazy. And he says that to the groom. Um, let me pause just for a second and say this. Make no mistake about this. What Jesus did was a miracle. We've, we've talked about this before. This is something I, that, that I care about significantly, the way that we use the word miracle. A miracle in scripture, is it, it is something that breaks the laws of nature, all right? It's not something that's really cool. It's not something that's the providence of God, the way that God brings things together in a really cool way that shows his power. A miracle is something that breaks the laws of nature, and this was a miracle. They put water in the jars. 
when they took it out, it was wine. And it wasn't like watered-down wine. It was like the best stuff ever. It was, it was a miracle. So I want you to, you got some background now, I want you to take a couple of minutes and just find Jesus in this party with the, with the hope that when you see him in incredibly good situations, in celebrations, in times of fantastic joy, when you're in those places, you will see Jesus there as well. Because we've got to recognize how Jesus is working in our life. Let me, let me just give you four areas to think about uh, relative to that. The first is this. Jesus created the party. You understand that Jesus creates every party that we're a part of. Jesus is the author of celebrations. Jesus is the one who, def- who um, designed and created fun and celebration. And it's just so interesting to me that Jesus, when he's ready to start his ministry, he's, he's ready to, you know, light the neon sign that says, okay, I'm here. I'm ready to do what God's called me to do. He didn't do it with a miraculous healing. He didn't do it by casting a demon out. He didn't do it by walking in the middle of Jerusalem and saying, here I am, I am the Messiah. Jesus, very quietly in the background of this party, does this miracle that starts his work. John only records eight miracles. Uh, There are about 60 recorded in the Gospels, in in the four Gospels. John only records eight, and he does it to show the power, the the fact that Jesus was God. Jesus' miracle is a statement that God is the author of celebrations and joy. That's not what the world thinks about Christians, is it? Someone nod your head and say, no. They say, Christians, they're a bunch of losers, right? They they don't know how to have fun. They walk around with sour faces. They they just kind of go through life, a sad sack kind of deal. Someone nod your head and say, that's, yeah, yeah. Jesus is the author of celebrations. And so if that's you, stop it, all right? Don't be that way. God is the one who created joy and fun for us. God is not a cosmic killjoy that wants you to just endure life until you get to heaven. He wants you. He wants you to celebrate. He wants you to, to understand how good he is. Um, God doesn't look down and anything that we think is good or fun, he whacks us on the back of the head and says, don't do that. That's not the picture of God at all. God is the one who made it who created it. God is the one who made the sunset. God is the one who created joy for us. Um, why, why, are, why, do, why do deciduous trees change colors in the fall? I, I think it's because God wants to celebrate football season. Uh, you know, it's, 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 God is the one who made the party for us, right? Finding Jesus in the extraordinary, in the sunset, in the mountaintop, in the underwater ecosystem when you dive, in a fine meal, in the intimacy of marriage, God is at the center of that party, that celebration. Jesus' first miracle was one of perpetual joy. Psalm 104 verse 15 says, wine makes the heart glad or merry. Um, there was a rabbinical uh, a rabbinical. A rabbinical 
saying in the Old Testament in the Talmud, which is the rabbis writing stuff, uh, writing commentary, that said, um, when the wine runs out, the party's over. Which is, which is kind of interesting. Without wine, there is no joy. That was the rabbi's perspective on stuff. God created the joy. Now, I don't have time to go the whole wine route. Scripture doesn't condemn wine. Um, it does condemn, it does say that, that, um, that drunkenness is a sin, so don't go there. But uh, talk to your parents, all right? <laughs> That's the conversation with kids. Um, God is the one who created celebrations, who created laughter, who created relationships, who created incredible sights and smells and tastes. Think powdered sugar, donuts, and apple cider, right? Uh, God is the one who, who created roasted marshmallows and graham crackers. Well, he used people to do that, Hershey bars, all that stuff. God is the one who created the steak fresh off the grill. Good cup of coffee. Who's ready to go eat now, right? God is the one who made it all. Jesus is there in the party, in the celebration. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights. Come down for us. Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, what? Joy. God is the one who made that for us to experience. Jesus created the party. Second thing is this. Jesus came to the party. Jesus, it's interesting to me that Jesus is just starting his ministry. And where does he go? He goes to a wedding. Why did he do that? Because he cared about the bride and the groom. He had relationships with them. Jake said just a little bit ago, today's Life Group Connect Sunday. Let me just encourage you from, from my seat right here. Jesus cared about relationships. It's so important for you to be connected with other Christians. We talk about disciple-making friendships. You can't follow Jesus alone very easily or very well. You need some people to rub shoulders with, to do life with, some people that can ask you hard questions to say, are you really going to do that? And that can celebrate with you when you see God working in your life and transforming you and changing you little bit by little bit. We don't know this couple's names, the bride and the groom, but Jesus did. That's why he went. Third thing, Jesus saved the party. He cared about the bride and the groom. It's interesting to me when you read down through this, it seems as though the bride and groom didn't even know that there was a crisis, right? They're having their party. Mary's the one who comes to Jesus and says, they're going to run out of wine. You've got to do something. Um, Jesus solved the problem before the bride and groom knew it even existed. Think about that for a second. How many times, how many times in your life has Jesus solved the problem before you even knew the crisis existed? That's the heart of God. That's the Jesus that we love and serve. He intervened on their behalf before they even knew what was going on. Have you ever had somebody in your life who could recognize you were heading towards trouble before you got there? Your mom, right? Do you remember those conversations where mom said, uh, I don't think that's a really good idea. If you keep going down this, 
this path, bad things are going to happen. We need to have people like that in our life. And Jesus recognized that there was going to be a lifetime of hurt that came to the groom especially, but to the bride and the groom. And he jumped into the middle to take care of it. Um, And he didn't just solve it temporarily. He made somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of choice wine. Think about that for a second. I don't know how many weddings you've been to. I don't know how many times you've been with a group of people. But drinking 180 gallons of wine, even over the course of a week, that's a lot of wine, right? So what they do? I, I wonder if the wine for this couple was kind of like the wedding cake that a couple now, you know, they cut the cake and then they put some in the freezer and take it out on an anniversary, and it's terrible. Um, I, I, um, been there, done that, right? Uh, I, I wonder if they, if they saved some of that wine and they pulled it out on anniversaries, they pulled it out on special occasions. I wonder if they took that wine and maybe the groom wasn't really all that prepared. And Jesus, in his graciousness, provided that wine for them so that they could sell the wine when it was done. And he could really take care of his wife in a way that he couldn't have before. Um, let me give you four very specific challenges, just real quick, about how to look for Jesus in the party. Uh, how, how, to, how to wake up to Jesus being a part of parties and celebrations. The first, the first challenge is this, look for Jesus. In the middle of the party, Mary recognized their problem, and she went looking for Jesus. Mary went looking for Jesus. Um, Not everyone saw what Jesus did at the wedding. Only a few saw the miracle. Most didn't even notice it. And while everybody benefited, not very many recognized that it was because of Jesus. Look for Jesus in the party. When you see the signs of Jesus working in your life, it deepens your belief and your trust in him. But you have to look for him sometimes to see what he's doing. When you you see Jesus working in your life, it changes your political views. It changes your worldview. It changes the way that you treat other people. That's why I said, you know, be gracious with people who are on a uh, a different page than you are about COVID. When you see Jesus working in you, it gives you a a tremendous amount of grace. Second thing is this. Second challenge is this. Mary said to the servants, do whatever he asks. Don't miss this. If you're looking for Jesus working in your life, it's going to be tied directly to your ability to do whatever Jesus asks, to be obedient to Jesus. Jesus said, John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? Do whatever Jesus asks. Third challenge is this. Because of Jesus, expect the unexpected. Understand that this wasn't just wine. It was the best wine ever. Um, Jesus takes the water. He turns it into wine. There's a danger for us in taking wine and turning it into water. Right? To get so accustomed to what God does that we just don't pay any attention to it at all. Expect the unexpected. Understand that the God that we serve, 
Jesus, who died for us, came to turn everything on its head. And he has the power to do anything. Expect the unexpected. Um, God isn't asking you, if you follow Jesus, to give up your joy. He's asking you to give up the cheap wine for something far better. Embrace that. Don't don't have a scarcity mindset. Don't think, oh, I can't give this up because then I'll just be empty. God's going to provide for us. The The fourth challenge is this. You need to tell your story. If you're ever around a bunch of pastors who are friends um, and they get started telling stories, it's a pretty interesting thing. I say that as a pastor. They'll tell you about a funeral where somebody in the audience dramatically passed out and the squad came to the funeral. That's one of my stories. Um, They'll tell about the wedding where the bride was nearly an hour late and the string quartet continued to play. They'd get to the end of a song and say, let's try page 37. We haven't played that one for a while. That was one of mine too. Um, they'll tell you about a wedding that they did at a castle where the, where the wedding party was all in medieval costume and the pastor couldn't find a monk's outfit so he wore a grim reaper outfit. <laughs> That was mine also. Um, And interestingly enough, about that particular wedding, the bride's mother was not thrilled and she wore black to the wedding. Ouch. Uh, They'll tell about a groom who was so nervous that he began to drink vodka regularly before the ceremony to the point that he couldn't say his fiancé's name in the wedding vows. That also was mine. They'll tell about a pregnant bride coming 30 minutes late to the ceremony, running into the venue, smoking a cigarette, wearing army boots, and immediately beginning the processional. Fortunately, that one was not mine. I did premarital with that couple, but I ended up with a schedule conflict, so I wasn't there. And my friend who did the wedding said, you owe me. Can you imagine after this wedding, people talking about the wedding? The master of ceremonies sitting at the city gate with the old men of the city and saying, you won't believe that wedding. That, you remember that young couple? They were so good. They were going to run out of wine. And then they brought out the wine and it was the, that's a lousy Jewish accent, I know. Um, <laughs> the, then they brought out the wine and it was the best wine we ever tasted. Can you imagine the servants when they went home from serving at this wedding and their family said, how was it? And they said, I don't know what to say. They were running out of wine. This guy told us to put water in the jugs. We put water in the jugs. He told us to take water to the MC. And it was wine. All of it was wine. For the rest of their lives, they would have told stories about that particular wedding. Um, the question is, what's your story? How has Jesus worked in your life? How is he working in your life right now? That's the question. And just start to tell that story as naturally as you talk about anything else 
in the world. When, when you look back years later at your wedding, sometimes months later, and you begin to look at the pictures that happened from the wedding, um, one of the things that um, has happened for Deb and I when we get those pictures out, which is not very often, it's been 39 years ago, but it's like, oh, I forgot those people were even at the wedding. I, I don't even remember them being there when you look at the picture. Anybody else had a similar experience? Yeah. Um, can you imagine this couple as they age looking at their photos from the wedding? I know they didn't have photos. But if they did, but if they did, they would have said, Jesus was there. Look, he's photobombing this picture, right? He's playing with the kids around the wedding cake. Jesus is dancing with all those people. That's Jesus, the guy who died on the cross and who was resurrected. What's your story? We're going to transition into a time of communion. And I hope you understand that Jesus is at the center of the celebration. As we come into this time of communion, I want to connect a few dots. Jesus started his ministry with a miracle at a wedding feast in Cana. When we die, the book of Revelation says that when we enter heaven, we will sit down at a wedding feast with Jesus. He'll be the groom. There's an incredible picture that's there. Jesus turned the water into wine, knowing that one day he would take wine and say, this is my blood poured out for you. Jesus took the water that was used for purification, and Jesus became the one who purifies us. He said, I'm the living water. Whoever drinks of this water will never thirst. I'll give water that will become a spring, a well that wells up inside them and gives eternal life. If you have, if you're ready for communion, go ahead and take this right now. Peel off the top. Take the wafer. Just think about Jesus.
take just a second and just rest in that clarity. Father God, we thank you. could be with you for eternity. God, we thank you for Jesus' death, a death that changed our destiny. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing. Isn't he wonderful? 
sin bow down before him for he is Lord of all sing hallelujah Christ is Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Father's arms are open wide. Father, we thank you for dying on that cross died for each one of us who died for our sins when you didn't have to. You died for us. We praise your name and we lift you high. Go and have a great week in the Lord and we'll see you next Sunday.